0: Hey, this is Danny Heifetz from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. For all your fantasy football needs, check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with me, Craig Horlbeck, and Danny Kelly. That's the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's the Ringer NBA Show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type, to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash rg to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit TheRinger.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch
2: your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to an NBA off-season edition of Group Chat. Uh, Don't be confused. Justin Verrier is still a member of the crew, but he's off today. So I'm holding down the hosting duties, of course. I'm Big Waz. Still got Rob Mahoney in the house. Rob, what's going on, brother?
3: Not a lot. This is an off-season edition. Without Justin is this off brand group? Chat? Are we like store brand group chat now or are we genuine article? This is just like kind of a, a bootleg cut.
0: No, this is still the the genuine article. It's just, you know, it's just a little bit tampered down. You know, the takes won't be flying in as hot. No. Um, me and Rob won't have a foil um, for our <laughs> you know great correct takes. Um, And somebody to play devil's advocate against the the perfection of our analysis. But it's all good. Um, Justin will be back soon. Obviously, um, we've tamped down the frequency with less news because it's the offseason. Nothing's going on. But there's still a little bit of NBA news out there. It's the NBA. These guys can't help but make news when they can, Rob. And I want to get started with the statements that Giannis gave to the New York Times.
3: Yeah. This is something that only you and I can talk about, because I think we can agree that we're just never going to bring this up around Justin. Like, I could not handle him feeling validated in his Buck cynicism at this point.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, he's been a a, a Buck cynic for a while now. And 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 the thing is, too, I'm not somebody who's always got their eye on Predicting who the next disgruntled superstar is, I feel like once it comes, we get enough of that anyway. Like, we don't need to do it in the run-up. like Or at least I don't feel the need to have put some energy into the run-up um, of disgruntled superstar. But I think the Giannis thing came as a surprise because he's been a member of the Ten Toes All-Stars uh, you know, the Damian Lillard type, the the Steph, the Steph Curry types, the, you know, I'm doing it with one team, I'm I'm loyal, I'm not like these other superstar, AAU obsessed, crazy um NBA kind of guys. I'm gonna be doing with the same franchise forever. And yeah, he essentially gave statements to the New York Times to the opposite effect. He's like, I'm not going to sign an extension. It doesn't make sense for me business wise. And also, I wanna make sure that as an organization, we're all aligned um, on a mission of winning at all costs, making every single sacrifice. He mentioned, you know, sacrifices like not being with his family and, you know, the type of work that he puts in. And I think, What he was talking about, sacrifices, like, yo, bucks. I know this small market always crying poor. Sacrifice some money. Spend some damn money. We all got to make sacrifices here. I just thought that was interesting that he would do that at this time, Rob.
3: It certainly felt like the Giannis version of of kind of a a courteous warning shot. Yeah. That, look, this is something that's on my mind as a player, as a star. You know, the story, you know, Tanya Ganguly's story for the New York Times, I think more largely is about, Giannis kind of taking a more proactive approach in the management of his life. And some of that is his investments. Some of that is, yeah. you know, living the mogul lifestyle. Like, you know, like many players, he has a production company now. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of wild to think that he's a superstar in his prime with a full feature length docudrama about his life. Just an extremely <laughs> strange situation Giannis has found himself in. But look, he's a guy who's investing and putting time into all these other places, providing for his family. And as we talked about, kind of more relevant to our NBA interests, looking at the Bucks, looking at his future, and saying like, is this a place where I can trust that everyone involved, as you said, is sacrificing the way I am sacrificing? And the Bucks, if we're being totally frank, and I, I would say I'm still someone who's pretty optimistic about the Bucks in the grand scheme of things, and certainly as long as they have Giannis, a lot of that stuff is kind of taken care of. But I think what he's saying is you don't, you can't necessarily pen that in, right? You need to prove to me that this reinvention that's happening within the franchise, between the coaching change, there's some roster pieces shifting around. They're going to have to kind of rethink what the core is over time just because of age. You know, guys like Brooke Lopez and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are not getting any younger. And certainly the playoffs did not go to the way that the Bucs expected or wanted. They're going to have to prove things to him. And that's a team that doesn't necessarily have a lot of you know, like draft capital to speak of in terms of just like, oh, we're going to throw a bunch of picks into a deal to make something happen. They're going to have to get pretty creative with this.
0: So to that effect, right? Because I I think people are wondering like, all right, yes, you were pantsed in the first round by the Miami Heat. You know, there are some, definitely some qualifiers. Obviously, Giannis was hurt for like, didn't they have that series? Huge qualifier. Yes. uh, and, And that stuff matters, but they've had... Embarrassing to wow, this is horrific. Flameouts in the playoffs a decent amount during Giannis's 10 tenure there. Um, so you know, whatever. I don't I don't see how he could see that as like so surprising. Like, bro, you guys have done this a decent amount. Um, but but what I would ask you, Rob, is how would you assess the current state of things um in Milwaukee, right? Like if you're looking at it from the viewpoint of Giannis obvious NBA superstar, top five player on his worst day, probably top three, top two, when he's got things cooking on all cylinders. Um, how do you view the short term and long term trajectory of what the Bucks have going on right now? Because I know I have my own opinions.
3: Here's the thing, even with all of the questions we would have about the Bucs, again, a team that lost role players in the offseason that has all these questions. You know, Chris Middleton had offseason surgery as soon as that series was over. Like, we need to see kind of where he's at going into the season and, all, and those kinds of things as well. Who in the East are you are you really betting on to, hmm. to be clearly better than them? And I think that's hmm. kind of the case for the Bucs is the Celtics are, are one of the most talented teams in the league, but are stacking injury risk on injury risk on injury risk with their roster. The Sixers, who I know we're going to get to and talk about a little bit, uh, some huge questions looming over the future of that franchise. And other than that, it's like, well, I guess the Heat, if they trade for Damian Lillard, you know, it's the Cavs, if they take the next step, there's not like a clear team that's going to be better than them in the immediate. The question is, and I think to Giannis's larger point, if he's going to sign a long-term extension what do they look like in three years? What do they look like even in, even beyond this season? You know, just as simple as like, what is the core of this team moving forward? And what is their path to be better than they've been? Because I will defend to the end of the day that qualifier we set up top. Giannis was hurt in that first round series. That changes everything about the complexion of it. But if you are Giannis and you fall on your back and you leave the game, you leave that series temporarily, even when you come back and you're not feeling like fully yourself... And you're looking around and you're saying, like, can can I not get a little more help than I'm getting in this situation? Can I not trust my teammates to win one more game than they did? That That's a tough place to be in a superstar. It's a pretty reasonable one, if you are Giannis, to look a little sideways at the roster, to look, look a little sideways at the organization who, as you said, has chosen financially to to pair back sometimes when they really should have been spending like a contender. And to, can, can we not do a little better than this?
0: Yeah, I'll say this for the Bucks in their defense, because oftentimes on on our show, I'm I'm tasked with being the management hater. Um, the Bucks have spent more than I think people would have expected them to. They've gone into the luxury tax multiple times. They've put more money into this Giannis reign than. I think their reputation prior to would have suggested that they would have. So I will say that they haven't been, you know, just completely like Donald Sterling this no, whole situation. No, no. Right. Uh, like just being complete cheapos. No, that 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 has not been the case. However, um, we can leave that to the side. You and I both heard about the little grumblings going on over there about a general unhappiness from the Giannis and his camp about maybe the sweet time Chris Middleton was taking to come back from his knee injury. There was like a little bit of grumblings like, all right, bro, like, come on, man. Like, get back on the horse. Like, this is a championship season. This is a championship team. Get back. Although, by all indications, it seems like him and Chris Middleton are pretty freaking tight. Yeah. Um, the fact that the Bucs, you know, paid that man um in the offseason and all of that, like long term, it's like obvious that Giannis was was with it. Um The Budenholzer firing, I think, is another indication of, like, maybe Giannis wasn't really feeling this guy long-term. And the fact that they fired him is a clear sign that Giannis wasn't like, oh, no, you know, he he didn't, you know, jump in front of that train uh, to save Budenholzer, and I think that was for a reason. The Brook Lopez deal, hefty money they paid up. That's obviously a Giannis thing. But you can't afford to lose him, right? You can't, and, and of course, like I said, like, that was big money, though. Um, And Brooke Lopez is 36 years old at this point. And so, you know, like they're doing things for Giannis. And you can say all of that. This is what I would say. There's nobody on the Bucks, And I would even add, including Giannis, that you can reasonably feel like will be better at their job in the years to come. Everybody's declining. Um, Giannis might be at a steady level. You might say he's plateauing, and that sounds like a backhanded, like you're dissing him. But plateauing at you know superstar all-time yeah. level—that's not MVP like, future like, just Hall gonna of be, Yes, he's going to be an MVP level. Um. Uh for the next three years, of course, right? But I don't think he's gonna surpass what he did two years ago in the next three years. I don't see how you could reasonably expect that. Brooke Lopez, given his age, Chris Middleton, both age and and, and, and um injury history. And then Drew Holiday, like um, I think we've always thought of Drew Holiday as this young, spry uh guy. He's getting up there. And I think you I think in the playoffs you even saw. A little bit of a decline on his trademark defense where sure. Jimmy Butler was just fish filleting this guy. Well, our guys work in a double shift,
3: you know, like guarding elite players, trying yes. to do a lot for the offense. And we've seen when Drew does mm. that at times, this, he'll this regularly shoot like 35 percent from the field. Yeah, like it's just, not
0: exactly looking at the Mona Lisa. That's, that's <laughs> for sure. It is, it is not.
3: Um, but I, you're right. Ultimately, you're right, like because of the age of the roster, no one is necessarily trending in that direction where you would expect any jumps by leaps and bounds or even like marginal improvement from these guys. I think you're right that most of the key players have kind of capped out or reached their ceilings individually. The question vis-a-vis Mike Budenholzer is, can you rework what you already have to make it more effective, right? Can not you know? It's not that Giannis is going to take a leap. It's not that Drew or Chris or anyone on down the line is going to take a leap. It's like, can Jay Crowder go from useless to us to a useful role player? Right? No. Can, can Can we rework things? Can, he defensively? Be as, can
0: Jay Crowder be as good as Pat Connaughton? One
3: One can only dream of being as good as Pat Connaughton for the Milwaukee Bucks. But Jay Crowder, I I dare you to dream. And that's kind of where Milwaukee is and is gonna to have to be. And sure, they're gonna be a team that's you know playing the buyout market, looking for guys getting dumped at the trade deadline. But let lest we forget with the way that the cap works now in, in this new CBA environment. There's not going to be as many teams that are really like ejecting guys at the deadline, right? The idea that you're going to be able to jettison people into cap space late into the season with the way that the CBA is set up now is just not like a realistic expectation. And so the idea that a good player would be traded to a bad team and then cut in the buyout market and you could just scoop them up. I don't know that's necessarily feasible. And so the bucks are going to need to do some work early in this season to get ahead of the market, I think, to try to find, another decent player or two, you know, and ideally someone who's in the age range you're talking about where it's, you know, mid twenties, at least, you know, you don't want someone too young because you want them to be playoff ready. But can we get like a decent role player in their mid twenties or in the 27, 28 range who you can expect to grow with the success of the team?
0: Yeah. And what's why I find the timing of this so fascinating is how, interconnected, it seems to me, to the other two major stories of this offseason. I really do wonder if Giannis got on the phone with Dame Lillard um, and talked to him about what's happening in Portland. Because this idea of quote-unquote promises and commitment from management, um, not being met or the idea that you need to constantly be holding these guys accountable and you can't really put your faith in a franchise, right? Like literally, because that's what people are saying to Dame Lillard right now. It's like, well, you signed that extension. So when they didn't do the things that you thought was right, yeah. you have no recourse. You're locked in. So to hear Giannis say, no, I'm not locking in. I can't trust that management is going to do as I ask after giving this commitment. Um, I really do see these stories as interconnected in that way because it's Giannis being like, no, management can't be trusted. You need to hold their feet to the fire at all moments because the second you relinquish leverage to these cats, they have you over a barrel and they just treat you out of the hell they want. So kudos to Giannis for being like, no. No, I'm not going to be some naive young guy, um, you know, just happy to be here person. Uh, I'm going to actually leverage my own agency, my superstar abilities, my, you know, the individual demand that I know I have in the marketplace um, in order to get management to acquiesce to my demands. And yeah, it's hard for me to not see that parallel um, with the Dame Lillard situation where to reiterate um, Dame Lillard's side claims that they signed an extension with a promise from management that they would do everything that they could in order to compete. Yeah, um, and Not exactly happening. And management, since he signed that deal, has done the opposite at every single turn. And so, um, yeah, like I just wanted to I just thought that was interesting and in how connected that was, which brings us to the other huge story of the Mm -hmm. offseason, and that's James Harden and the Houston Rockets. I mean, excuse me, James (laughs) Harden... Kind of. <laughs> James Harden and the Philadelphia Rockets. I mean, the Philadelphia 76ers um, ran by one Daryl Morey. The NBA has levied a $100,000 fine on James Harden, which uh, the Players Association is actually appealing.
3: It's a pretty hefty fine by NBA standards, right?
0: Yeah, $100,000 is crazy. That's a lot of money.
3: Even like public trade demands are usually about 50K. And so the fact that this is, a, this is double that, Basically, more than you see for any like non huge, huge NBA story breaking, uh, pretty pretty hefty slap on the wrist for our guy James.
0: So of course, James Harden went to China, said that he will never work, or he doesn't want to work, or refuses to work with the franchise um, that is associated with Daryl Morey.
3: And then he repeated it for for emphasis, you know, just to make sure that. All of the Chinese fans in attendance were like, I, I want to make sure you guys are hearing my my message today.
0: The NBA essentially in their statement said that this guy threatened to a work stoppage and we're going to fine him for that. Whereas like I think James Harden and the team that's appealing this can just say, no, I was appealing for a firing. I was appealing to the 76ers brass to fire Daryl Morey. That's not me saying I don't want to come to work. That's me voicing my displeasure with the work that Daryl Morey does for them and that they should let go of him. Um, I think they could reasonably make that argument and I think they'll probably win this appeal but Rob like uh, what's your take on (laughs) because this to bring the audience behind the curtain of course me Rob Verrier, uh Ben Cruz uh we're all in in Stockholm for um Spotify symposium and uh I slack the team while from my hotel room, because I'm, I'm of course still consuming NBA media around this James Harden news, and I'm like, ah, everybody's getting this damn story wrong. This is killing me. <laughs> blah blah blah. And by the way, crickets in the Slack. Everybody's like, what is wrong with this freaking maniac? We're in freaking Sweden, enjoying ourselves, and this idiot is um getting riled up about the Harden situation. But yeah, where are you at right now with the story, Rob? Well, first of all, I knew
3: you weren't gonna let this this meatball sail over the plate without commentary, right? We weren't going to get in and out of this pod today without a little bit of hardened and talk based on, based on your Slack behavior. Yeah. I will say I've kind of lost the plot on why James does most things that he does, mm-hmm. publicly speaking. I think you're right that the pressure was different than, I mean, it's notable that he did not say he will never be a part of the Philadelphia 76ers, right? Mm-hmm. He, he levied it specifically at Daryl Morey the subsequent reporting based on the NBA's investigation was that like Harden's specific problem was that apparently there was an understanding or it was conveyed to James that if he opted into his contract, he would be quickly moved, quickly being the operative word. We are two months later. All of free agency is coming gone. And here we still are with no resolution in this situation whatsoever. I I get why he's miffed, but also I would say like, what did you reasonably expect to happen here based on
0: so Rob, wanting
3: to get to the Clippers, wanting to get to other desired destinations, like he—he he saw what happened with Ben Simmons, did surely. I, I'm I'm confused as to what James' reasonable expectations were.
0: So let me let me unconfuse you in the audience and, and why I was so worked up about how the Harden situation is being covered um, in our media. Harden. Let's let's rewind the clock, because people are just like, oh, he got traded to the Sixers, and then there was the opt-out, and then there was the Tucker deal that, you know, he sacrificed for P.J. Tucker, and then, you know, that opt-out was the wink-wink that this offseason he would get paid, and it's like, no, guys. The real lie that Daryl Morey told was before that. Rewind, guys, to when James Harden was a Brooklyn net. Joe side. And Sean Marks offered him a $200 million extension. This was well reported. They offered him. I'm pretty sure Kyrie was offered. They offered both of them extensions. James Harden specifically was offered $200 million. He never signed it. He didn't sign it. Why, guys? So that he could leverage... Brooklyn into a trade to Philadelphia. You don't say no to 200 million guaranteed to go to Philadelphia unless you have a deal in place with Philadelphia. There's no reason to just roll the dice on 200 million guaranteed until unless you have a promise From the team that's acquiring you. And in the past, guys, you can go look up any other superstar disgruntled trade where they leverage the team um, into a trade that they didn't get the extension from the team that acquired them. This is not how this works. People do not say no to money in one place without understanding that they're guaranteed to get it at the place that acquires them. So that is the original promise that has not been kept. Everybody keeps saying, oh, he stunk up the joint after um, the playoffs. And so the Sixers are like, oh, no, we're going to pay. No, James Harden said no to $200 million to leverage a trade to the Sixers with the understanding that they would make him whole. okay? and so Daryl Morey has now obviously, obviously gone back on that promise. He's obviously made the calculation that that promise doesn't matter. Um, James Harden isn't worth the deal. And the fact that um, Daryl Morey uh, cost this guy some dollars in the process, he doesn't care. Um, And I will say this, like, that's unethical behavior on Daryl Morey's part in this context.
3: Allegedly.
0: Allegedly. In this NBA context. And and what people need to know— is that the entire league runs on these handshake agreements. Literally. That's why James Harden is going scorched earth. That's why he's behaving in the manner that he is. He, there, there was a promise made, and these promises are always kept. I'm telling you, you can go look it up. No superstar who had the, who, who had the opportunity to sign an extension didn't, thereby sending the warning shot to the team that had him that, yo, you're going to lose me for nothing— Right. Exerting their leverage to get to another team didn't get that same extension from the other team. Mm. And that's what we're talking about. here. And the problem for James Harden is that under the league's collective bargaining agreement, this is technically illegal to agree to such terms. Ahead of time. And so that's why you see the vagaries of how he's handling this situation where he has to pretend that his beef is with not um, his trade requests not being honest. like, no, these motherfuckers didn't pay me.
3: (laughs) Well, so do do you think the wish to be traded, quote unquote, quickly factors in at all? Do you think that's a potential olive branch in this situation? Of course
0: it factors in because it's the idea being that like, okay, you tricked me into coming here, right? obviously telling me that i was going to get my 200 from you guys so you tricked me you clearly don't think i'm i'm worth it so you're not signing me let me go i promise you i'll get this bread from somebody who wants me i think james harden is appealing to again some like some ethics it's like guys like you tricked me into coming here now let me go and go get my money elsewhere cuz what you did in the context of the NBA business, is extremely unethical. I'm telling you guys, these handshake agreements are how the league is run. They really are. I mean, just,
3: just from a 10,000-foot view, the sheer number of options that exist in NBA contracts, those are not, generally speaking, trust fall exercises in which all of the league is simultaneously jumping into the void together. There are some cases where some guys aren't quite sure, especially at the role player level, how much they can make, because it depends on, oh, what are the bulls going to do with their mid-level exception? What is this team going to do with its available space? Like, I need to see how these three guys ahead of me in line make out before I can find my spot. That does exist for guys on options. For guys like James Harden especially at the level he was operating at as a Brooklyn Net and earlier in his career as a Sixer yes. not so much. So I I hear you the idea that a player in his position would turn down a massive extension is extremely suspect. You should raise a all James of your Harden specifically
0: who has been money, 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 money yeah. <laughs> is inside. Like that's been the the sort of guiding principle of pretty much most of his decision-making in his career. The idea that James Harden specifically would be like, yeah, I can sacrifice $200 million. Th- it doesn't make any sense, no. people.
3: He's been a, a basically extend at first possible opportunity to maximize money kind okay. of player. And <laughs> not a, I'm going to get to the last year of my deal and and apply pressure that way kind of player. But I have to, I I didn't expect, like, I I know you wanted to, like, dig into the dynamics of this issue, but leave it to a James Harden versus management conflict to force you into the James Harden corner of all places.
0: But again, James Harden, had he signed that Brooklyn deal, right, would not be playing at the level of what that deal would um, be paying him today. No. Right, we know that. That's the case. Like, he's just not as good or he's declined at a rapid enough pace that the deal wouldn't make sense today. And we have that hindsight, but that's not how these contracts work. It goes both ways. Sometimes teams sign a guy, Ben Simmons, to a deal that they think in the future he's going to justify, even if he doesn't justify it in the present, right? Um, I can think of Michael Porter Jr. in Denver, right? Sometimes, however, teams sign guys to deals that they way overperform. Think Steph Curry on a four-year, $48 million deal in Golden State, a deal that allowed them to get Kevin Durant later, right? Like these deals go both ways, but you don't, you don't get to readjudicate them post haste, right? Like it doesn't happen that way, especially when you've already had a promise with the guy. And I understand that it would have looked crazy to a bunch of people. And the reason why I'm, I feel um, extremely like, why wow, this is so top of mind to me, I remember when we had Derek Bodner on week on the weekend show. Um, he's one of the most tapped in Philadelphia people that there is. And after the first Harden season, I because I'm operating under the assumption Philly traded for this guy. They have to pay him like they have to like there's no there, like, there's no scenario where they don't. And my my eyebrows was raised immediately because I remember Bodnar said two things. He said, one, Doc is not getting fired after that first season, which I thought was shocking. And two, Harden's not getting a long-term extension. He said that on the show. He's like, it's not happening. I was like, are you sure? Like, that seems weird because he turned down money to go there. Nah, it's not going to happen. I'm like, okay, maybe they're kicking the can down the road and they're going to get fancy about how they end up paying this guy. And now we've come to the second offseason in a row where it's not happening. And now James Harden is like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) y'all think I'm playing with y'all. And so that's why this thing is played out in the the manner that it has.
3: Well, it's going to require, to your earlier point, about kind of James Harden and, and what leg he has to stand on here, some clever resolution, right? This is not a thing where you can make the argument that, oh, we had this handshake agreement to the league to get some kind of satisfactory response. He has to make comments like this one or he has or or some kind of public posturing to achieve some other outcome like i don't i don't know what else you do other than just not show up if you're James Harden and then you get hit on the wrist for that
0: i think we're hard and messed up rob um was opting into this, this contract itself. Should have just been a free agent, you think? He should have just been a free agent. He should, and again, we're talking about James Harden, the money focusedness of this guy's career, which lets you know that he had this promise. Um, the, the smartest thing to do if you were this mad was to be a free agent. And now the 76ers have no point guard. They have no lead guard, they have no distributor, they have no playmaker, and they either go into the season with no Harden. And nothing to show for him leaving. Um, and Harden being willing to go sign a mid-level somewhere, play on the minimum somewhere to in order to get this deal next offseason to play for. But Harden, being Harden, is like, nah, I'm not sacrificing money this season for leverage. I'm gonna find my leverage some other way. Um, and that's why you're seeing the the antics in China or whatever, but he should have made a bet. And played chicken with Maury and them and been like, you want to embarrass yourself and take this team into the season without me? Guy who led the league and exists. Guy who was an all NBA caliber type of player last year. You want to go into the season without me? Go ahead, bro. I will go. I will cost myself money in the immediate future to stick it to you and go get my bread elsewhere. Right. Um, I think he made a mistake in opting into this deal because it limited his options and it sort of gave Philadelphia, you know, sort of put the um them, their management in the driver's seat. I mean, it's a tough bet to make,
3: though, when you're 34 yeah. years old yeah. staring down. I think it's a thirty five or thirty six million dollar option for this yeah. season. And I think it speaks to the, the larger complexity of this situation, which is I. I I honestly don't know exactly where to chain the the original sin of this progression of events to. Honestly, it may go back even even previous to the Brooklyn scenario you're talking about in the initial trade to Philadelphia. Like I think you can you can follow James Harden's career and obviously his relationship with Daryl Morey back a long time, and it, there could have been any number of events along the way that led us to James Harden publicly calling him a liar twice uh, at, at a public event. But then you do get into this position where he has to make that call, right? do I become a free agent? Do I pick up this option? The fact that he did pick it up, I think did speak to at least some level of existing trust at that point. Or else why would you pick it up other than as you're saying, like, I I guess maybe it is literally just the financial bottom line and the risk of, can I make this back down the line if I become a free agent? I I
0: think it's just like, I think the pickup is like, look guys, we know this relationship is over. Get rid of me. I, I think that's just... What it is, um, I think it's it's a pickup on banking on some level of human relationship situation where it's like, yeah, I don't have to do this. Um, in the in the case of Sixers, Daryl Morey and management, but let's just do it in such a way, right? But the problem is, the Sixers need to be placating the most important person in the organization, Joel Embiid, and trading James Harden for nothing. Is not a move that placates him. <laughs> like yeah. making the team worse is not a move that placates him. And so management is in a tough position because they can't just get rid of Harden, even though they completely ruin that relationship um, by their actions. And again, people are gonna say, Oh, wow, is this speculation? Do you, you you might not, guys? I promise you, man, they told this dude they was gonna pay him. Like, like, I promise you, like, it's $200 million, people. Like, this isn't some chump change. This is big-ass money. Even for somebody who had already earned as much money from Adidas and his NBA yeah. deals as James Harden. $200 million is a crazy sum to just be like, oh, I'll just take my chances with the Sixers and getting that at some point from them. Like, they they promised this dude that
3: when even even if for as much as he may not have loved how the situation with the nets had developed and he everything that was going on with Kyrie deal, at that two hundred million dollars, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it buys a lot of goodwill for a player. <laughs> but look, you hate to see it. And honestly, you know, we you and I have seen this before. We'll see it again. This is really exactly what just happened with Justin Verrier he told us our relationship with him was over he he requested a trade to off you know off guard with Austin Rivers and we're
0: like you know pick up your option we'll see we'll see how it goes yes we'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i think this is something worth monitoring i honestly think Harden's just gonna have to eat his vegetables and come back. Like he just doesn't. He doesn't Oof. have any actual recourse here. Like there's nothing he can do. The fact that he's on a one-year deal. Um, there's there's rules in the CBA to stipulate that he he essentially has to come in. He can't hold out. Like there, there's he there's nothing he can do. He won't get paid if he tries to do a holdout. I guess he could come in and just be a petulant child and make things uncomfortable for the new coach, for this team that still has championship aspirations. Um, he can be a disruptor behind the scenes, I'm sure, but he he, there's no universe that he doesn't come back. And, you know, for somebody who cares about the money as much as he does, they don't have to pay him if he doesn't come back. And so, yeah, man, I just think ultimately he's going to come back and, and eat the Brussels sprouts and move on. Um, that's just... <laughs> Does our guy eat vegetables? No, that's the thing. I I, I don't know. Is he into the Brussels like this? Is
3: is he hitting the like, you know, the Brussels with a little little balsamic vinaigrette on them Like, you know, a nice roast. Is is he into that game? I don't know. I am suddenly reminded I had had wiped this story from my memory. Uh Do you remember when the NBA story of the week was unhappy Ben Simmons may have gone through a Sixers practice with a cell phone in his pocket? Do you remember when this was a huge story?
0: yes, Yes, I remember that. I don't know if, like, I, I,
3: here's the thing, whatever (laughs) happens with James Harden at this point, any Sixers event he shows up to is now mandatory viewing media day. If he shows up, the sound bites are going to be amazing. If he's playing game one of the preseason or the regular season, we have to watch it. And I don't know that that's exactly what the NBA is looking for from, uh, you know, trying to get more eyeballs on the regular season product, but we will be there.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUVs. It's good to stay up to date like I do with the NBA. You might catch me walking around the street. I'm listening to the Ringer NBA show, or I might be online looking at the Ringer.com, looking at some power rankings from Howard Beck, or, you know, I might listen to old episodes of real ones. And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system with Google Maps Assistant You can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Nissan Rogue Pathfinder and Armada at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. Tax not included, limited time only at participated Sonic Drive-Ins.
2: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, you want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
0: On to less contentious news, Rob. Uh, We wanted to do a FIBA check-in with NBA guys. Gotta do it. And some non NBA guys. We'll save that non NBA former NBA guy for <laughs> for the last segment of this podcast. But the story, man, um, out of FIBA for me, obviously, I think one Shea Gilgis, Alexander is has looked like the best player in the tournament to awesome. me. Just he just does what he wants when he wants how he wants. It's it's it's. Been exhilarating to watch. Like man, this guy is legitimately an NBA superstar. Like this guy is—he's it. Luca's looked like Luca. Um,
3: I was about to say I, I don't want to rehash like the Hoof Collective's whole deal. I but know, I know. We got to at least Luka's if you're going to say Shea's the best player in the tournament, Luca's. Uh, Luca's pretty freaking good.
0: Yes, he is. And felt Luca professionalism. Luca offseason <laughs> in shape. Luca. Wow, it's it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, it's like one of those things that I realized, you know, at some point in my 20s, like, look, if I gotta be to work at at, at 8 a.m., I probably shouldn't go out and hang out with the fellas and go crazy at happy hours. It's just like, yo, save that for when you don't have, you know, work to do. Uh that's that's Luca. Uh he's finally realized that like he shouldn't show up to training camp hungover. You should already be in shape. You should be ready to work. When he gets there, he shouldn't be working himself into work. Shape when he gets it. it's crazy. It's like, yo, this guy looks skinny, it's nuts. Um, so that's good to see. Um, to me, Team USA, they've looked amazing. The the just how hard they're playing, yeah. Spolstra and Steve Kerr coaching the hell up. Out I mean, of that's these a great guys. coaching staff. It's 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 amazing. The, the the unity with which they they play, the collective, uh, sort of force with which they play on defense has been. Just really um, inspiring stuff. But realistically, the story is Austin Reeves. I mean... have <laughs> <it>? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Story? The, story, the story is Austin Reeves. And you know why, man? Just his role on this team to just seamlessly fit into whatever they need. Yeah. If it's scoring, if it's distribution, if it's guarding different positions, if it's spot-up shooting, if it's fast-break look-aheads. Like, I'm talking about this guy... Is just a hooper. I hate that euphemism. I, I really do, but he is just an all-around basketball player. Um, and it's just so incredible to see. Obviously. Anthony Edwards has been incredible in spurts where he's just looked like, you know, one of the most unstoppable dominant scoring forces in our game. Looking like Um, a
3: guy for sure.
0: Looking like a guy for sure. But man, I I just love Austin Reeves as just the glue guy of this team. It's, It's just incredible to watch.
3: Well, this is bringing all of my basketball worlds into focus at the same time, because I I completely agree with you on what makes him valuable to Team USA. And really, it's the same thing that makes him valuable to the Lakers, Lakers. too, right? He can play with AD and and LeBron. He can run, pick and roll without those guys if you need him to on ball, off ball, whatever defensively, like competent enough to handle some different kinds of assignments. Not a perfect player, but pluggable into so many different kinds of roles. And on the other side of my current basketball and NBA life, to, to lift up the hood a little bit, we're, we're getting into top 100 ranking season, right? Mm. We're, we're going through this exercise for our ranking for the ringer. And let me tell you, this kind of player, Austin Reeves specifically, so hard to rank versus guys who have like, let's say, bigger roles, but more particular games. You know, you you have guys who can do things yeah. that Austin Reeves could never do, right? Like in, in an ideal situation, uh, a Russell Westbrook to put it on the extreme end. of the I think an spectrum. even better
0: example is Brandon Ingram.
3: At, this is this is a great this is a great kind of pivot for the conversation because Brandon Ingram, to this point, has not been what Team USA needs necessarily. He's been kind of emblematic of. There are more mechanical tendencies in their half-court offense. The need to like, okay, if this guy is going to be effective, we need to get him the ball and run particular kinds of actions. To the point that you sub in Josh Hart in his spot in the starting lineup, and all of a sudden things are a little bit more fluid. Things are a little more easygoing. And Brandon Ingram, also an incredibly hard guy to rank, uh, you know, as a guy who's like, this is a very talented offensive player but kind of needs everything to be just so, to be the best version of himself and to really elevate even a Team USA to the level that you
0: would want. He's he's on the lowest grade of effective ball-dominant guys. Yes. And so the argument being, and Mikhail Bridges is now becoming, he's ascending in Brooklyn into that echelon of low-grade ball dominance.
3: But he's at least like a, an all-NBA-level defender. And Brandon Ingram... I think, respectfully, is not. Is
0: not. And so that is the question, right? What's more valuable? Like, I know for a fact, because I've seen him do it, when Mikael Bridges is in role-player mode, he is a superstar in that mode. And I know for a fact that any team who has serious championship aspirations, he will start on that team, <laughs> like, straight up. Like, whether you want to put him at an undersized four or a regular three or what he's going to start, on a team that has major championship aspirations, right? Is that more valuable than Brandon Ingram who just brings, you know, a low grade. It's a quality, but it's the lowest of that quality to a team like the Pelicans. Or, you know, let's just say Brandon Ingram was in Charlotte. He'd be their best on-ball option. Yeah. He probably helped them get to 42 wins. But is that more valuable than the highest level of role player on real teams. That's, that's tough. I mean, that's a tough question to even answer.
3: It's very tough. And it's, I think for a franchise, it can be a tough question to answer. And it really depends on your market and your situation. A team like Charlotte, to, to continue your example, for them, getting to the playoffs is immensely valuable and important. And so a player like Brandon Ingram, who's probably better at getting you to the playoffs yeah. than Mikhail Bridges is, health withstanding, and that's kind yeah. of another question with Ingram in the bigger picture, probably better at getting you to the playoffs than someone like Bridges is. But if we're talking about who gets you to the second round, who gets you to the conference finals, who is an essential piece of a high-achieving team, we're still kind of waiting to see that from Ingram. And he has so many different skills that should be able to translate. He is a good playmaker. He is a good perimeter shooter. He's remade himself into a really good three-point shooter. But the cadence at which he does those things... right? has so much more to do with controlling the ball than it does for someone like, necessarily Bridges or Reeves has to be. And so that's why those get the fluidity of those kinds of players. Extremely important for Team USA in the mold of, you know, your Andre Iguodala's of Team USA past. Even your, you know, there have been lots of role players who have come and gone in the program. Your your Tayshaun Princes and your Rudy Mm -hmm. Gay's and your your Eric Gordon's before he was a member of the Bahamas national team uh, somehow all those guys kind of like found ways to plug and play within the system. And Austin Reeves is kind of the best version of that guy for Team USA right now. But really, like, there's there's lots of players up and down the roster who are malleable in that way. Brandon Ingram is just not yet one of them.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the question really comes down to is like, could Brandon Ingram ever play like Mikael Bridges, right? Like, could he? Like, could he ever scale back his more flashier stuff and be like, all right, this is not necessarily useful for this given context. And now let me make myself into something else. I don't think a guy in his 20s who's, you know, already shown that he's got off-ball, on-ball juice is going to be a willing participant in that kind of thing. I think that's something he will embrace later on in his career because he's so toolsy, man. Like, the length and, you he's know, lateral so quickness much. Is, is not crazy, but just his size and his length, he should be yeah. able to be doing so much more than what he does um but you know and he struggled right and that's why i bring him in because he's the guy like that's kind of struggling to find a place for himself where a lot of his mid-range juice his you know on-ball pick and roll creation which he's made himself into a credible pick and roll player like he's got way better at passing and stuff like that great just mid-range not- scorer, like has a lot to offer when you have Brunson and Halliburton on your team, I don't need you to to run pick and rolls for me. These guys are A plus plus level pick and roll operators. You're a B level, which is incredible to add to the other things that you have. But on this team, when I have guys that are just way more effective at it, we don't need you doing that. So now it becomes like, what are we using from the Brandon Ingram skill set um on this team? And I think that's why he's kind of struggled.
3: Well, you know who's on the other end of the spectrum, too, in terms of a guy who has a lot of ball skills could have had a a Brandon Ingram like FIBA World Cup to date, but has not. To his credit, Paulo Banquero, yeah, holy shit, yeah, just looks massive, imposing. His ability to take guys off the dribble, to work the handoffs, to be a big in this fluid system again, without dominating the ball, without taking a controlling role in the offense. He looks incredible in a way that. Obviously, we've, we saw what he did in his rookie season. He could be that guy, and he probably will be some version of that guy for the Magic going forward for a variety of reasons. But what makes you so bullish on the idea of him and Franz Wagner together long-term, him and Anthony Black together long-term, him and other ball handlers on the floor long-term is this kind of play. He can morph into this kind of guy when you need him to. And the fact that we're seeing those sides from him this early, incredibly promising sign for Bankero and in his NBA career.
0: Yeah, you know what's interesting, man. And, and again, shouts to coach Coach Spo and Coach Spur because I think some less imaginative coaches would have been like, yo, we gotta play this guy next to a center. Um, instead, they're just like, yo, he's gonna be a slightly tamped down version of Amari Stoudemire yeah at center. And it's just incredible to watch where, you know, these European bigs who let's face it, they're calling card isn't always lateral mobility. You know, they and and and, just
3: calling out. Those are
0: sacrifices that get made because Paolo has definitely gotten battered and bruised on the other end by bigger guys who can just push him around for sure. But then seeing Banquero and being like, no, let's let's turn him into a center in in some of our lineups and just unleash him that way. And I like that he's making quick decisions. It's not jab step this, that. It's like, no, I'm getting the ball against the big. Quickly driving, spin move, booming it on him or driving, drawing extra help, kicking it out because he's such a skillful uh, player in that way. And so, yeah, that's been really, really cool to see just to see the Swiss army knife um, ability of his offensive game. Right. Because I think, you know, he's already shown that, like, if you put like a smaller wing on him, he's going to bully that guy. To to death and you know him flashing that footwork that 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 quickness and that burst against plotting bigs. That's like I said. That's that's really cool to see. I think Halliburton has sort of found his stride a little bit there. I know me and you were 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 kind of <laughs> Halliburton stands, especially last year in the earlier portions where he just looked. Incredible,
3: poised for a big year too. I think with with what the Pacers have, this this could be a really fun, really nice season. year
0: for them. Yeah, Jaron Jackson has looked great. Yep. Um, it's just been cool to see, man. These guys come together and, and coalesce this way. And yeah, it, it was just fun having the conversation in, in 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 Stockholm because when you think about somebody like Michael Porter Jr. and what he's making, um, and what Austin Reeves is now making on his second deal. The, the Michael Porter Jr. slant
3: NBA champion Michael Porter Jr. has taken some shots on this pod. Here's the thing. His thing. I, I, I don't like it. I don't appreciate thing. it. He's his a thing.
0: very good player. Here's the thing. He's a very good player. But he's paid like a player who, if you let him anchor an offense, he could do it. That's not my problem. That's Dan Kroenke's problem. And, and there is no indication that he can do that. Um, and we know that in the future he's gonna want to prove that he can't. <laughs> okay. Like we we know that to be the case. And in, you know, in the hypothetical that we somehow traded him for Austin Reeves, I don't think I think what Reeves does is so redundant with what Jokic is already doing yeah. for um for Denver that I think Michael Porter is actually a better fit for the current team that he's with. I'm just saying in a vacuum. Most people would say that Michael Porter Jr. is way more talented and better at basketball than Austin Reed's. And I don't know that I agree with that. Especially given their salaries. And the salary
3: bit of it complicates it for sure. In terms of pure basketball ability, you're talking about one of the best shooters for his size, Ever. at least so far, docu- in documented NBA history. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The percentages are there. You know, NBA finals notwithstanding, that was kind of a tough shooting stretch for him. But, Again, it's the difference in a player who can do things that other guys can't. And Michael Porter Jr. because of his size, because of how he shoots, and the guys he's matched up with, is uniquely valuable in ways that Austin Reeves is not necessarily. But it's all about that fit. It's all about those elements. And I think it's interesting with the Team USA side of this too. I'm very curious to get your take on this, Waz, as someone mm. who look, you're you're invested in the in the future of American basketball, of course. In, in the health of the sport, of course. And we do go through stretches where we, we see the Team USA, whether it's in the Fee World Cup or, or in the Olympic competition, and this year included, the half-court offense for Team USA, not always inspiring stuff. When it is fluid in the ways we've described and everyone is moving and buying in and everything is co- like connected, it's working, it looks great. But there are times where it does look stilted and disjointed. And I think especially, you know, Team USA hasn't played a murderer's row of com- like sure. com- competition so far. They're just getting out of the first phase of group play. As the defenses they play are, are going to get better and better, I-, I do worry about that. And the fact that like year after year after year and competition after competition after competition, Team USA basically like has to win in transition to like really take a stranglehold on some of these games?
0: So, to me, that's just a function of not having um, a single one-on-one killer on the entire um, roster. Even Ant Edwards, who we love, we don't think he's at the level of Devin Booker, say, in one-on-one scoring. Sure. I think if they possessed one person who could do that, the half-court offense would just be different. If If teams felt like they had to send two, at one person on this team, then everything would open up behind that. I think that's just a function of not having a Kevin Durant type, a Devin Booker type, a Steph Curry type, uh, you know, prime LeBron type who you just can't simply cannot deal with with one international defender. And yeah. so, yeah, they got to it, it's going to get bogged down in, in, in a lot of ways when you can't just force. You can't bend the defense to your will with one guy who will absolutely murder single coverage, right? And to me, that's just what that function is. As much as I love Halliburton, much as I love Brunson, as much as I love a lot of these guys, Brandon Ingram, who's supposed to be some one-on-one, you know, aficionado, they're really not – the A plus plus level one on one guys that say a Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis, Alexander is like you just see it with 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 Shea. He is the apex predator one on one type of um, attacker, and we've seen it when they try to single cover him in this tournament. He absolutely destroys it. Um, because he, he just he can't be stopped with one guy, like or there's no one guy on the teams he's playing against that can credibly defend him, right? Um, in a way that the team can live with. Um, Team USA doesn't possess a guy that that's at that level right now, and I think that's what we're seeing. And I don't mean
3: to concern troll about it. USA is probably going to win their closest competition in the tournament overall. Are basically the guys you just laid out, like Canada, who's pretty stacked, Beyonce, like a really good roster. Yeah. Slovenia with Luca. Spain doesn't have like the standout NBA guy. It's like you know Ru- Rudy Fernandez is still rolling. It's it's the, the the greatest hits of the Spanish national team plus like the Hernan Gomez Bros. Um, you know Germany's pretty good. Like there's some teams. Australia is pretty good. There's some teams that are that are competitive and competent. But really, I think it's it's Canada and Slovenia that are going to be are going to be tough, mm. and to some extent, Spain. I just get a kick personally, even watching, you know, USA's running up the score in some of these games, even with all of their their quote unquote issues or whatever problems we we may project onto them. It's just a little funny to watch some of these international teams in competition after competition running like Hoosiers ass high post passing and just like (laughs) making stuff work with whatever guys they got. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I appreciate whatever it is that they're doing to get to this point because there are times where the USA feels like they're kind of running through mud a little bit. And, and once they break out, once they get out of that, they crush teams. But there, there are those stretches of basically every game.
0: Yeah, and and it's one of those things, Rob, where like these guys are human. They understand where their pressure points are. It's like, yo, yeah, we have an ability to turn on a defense that turns the hell wow. over, turn people the hell over. Like, you know, we at the end of the day, we can put our heads down and try to bludgeon people in the paint, get to the line. Like, it's gonna be dirty stuff. It's transition. It's getting to the line. It's offensive rebounding. It's like the nasty stuff on the margins that you know never makes sports center, but that's how you make up your deficiencies. In in the half court. You have to do these other things. And then they have enough shooting that like if the three ball is falling at even a, a decent enough clip, like I think their offense is good enough when you add in these other ways that they can chip, chip, chip away at not having the most pristine sort of um, offense, right? And we talked about it all the time in the playoffs. Like uh, the reason why Denver's offense is ridiculous, they have a guy you can't single cover yeah. and he's willing to pass it to everyone. <laughs> like, the, you add those two things in, it's like, all right, this is the foundation of, you know, effective offense. And they just don't have that guy, and they're finding other ways to do it.
3: So the go-to
0: superstars
3: of the FIBA World Cup so far, I think in some order, 1A, 1B, Luka and Shea. Shea. Yeah, he's uh, 1C, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> This is the weirdest story in sports. <sighs>
0: oh,
3: I man. okay to to the, <laughs> to those who are not up on this story, uh, ronde Hollis Jefferson. One t- honestly, not in the NBA that long ago. I think it was in twenty 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 one that he was last in the league, basically as like a forward, like combo defender. Sometimes he'd be like a small ball. Was he a
0: part of the Culture Nets? He
3: was part he was part of the culture nets.
0: Very important
3: to the blueprint, you know, like yeah. hard hard nosed guy digging it out the mud. All of a sudden he looks like Kobe Bryant and he's he's playing for Jordan.
0: Nobody looks like Kobe Bryant. That's a, well, for, yeah.
3: One looks like Kobe Bryant. Like is in full Kobe Bryant uniform. He's
0: wearing his number. Yes. He's strategically placed the armband on his forearm, like Kobe. Obviously, he's wearing Kobe signature sneakers, which a yes. lot of people do. But he's he's shaved his head. Shaved the head. Yeah. Like Kobe, he's got the light goatee. Um, like Kobe, which uh full disclosure is a goatee that I often mimic um in my own personal look. Wow uh, and definitely inspired by Kobe. Um and he's playing like Kobe. He's getting them shots up. <laughs> it's 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 mama mentality taken to an extreme that I've never seen before. It's real like dress for the job you want energy, yeah. right? Like if you just put on
3: the uniform and the and the armband and shave your head and honestly like mimic his mannerisms like the way he carries himself yeah, the free he's, throw he's routine he's doing
0: the Kobe fist pump after big shots yeah
3: yeah and he's getting the the crowd response you know like or at least was getting the crowd yeah. response we should say Jordan has since been eliminated but before they were Ronald Jefferson a guy who got bounced out of the league systematically was the third highest scorer in the entire world the game. 40 Rob. in a game, a four-point play <laughs> to tie it in, uh, uh, at the end of regulation, like, had some sensational plays. And, was I am just freaking mystified. Like, we had no indication that Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was capable of literally any of this. And I don't think we even have indication now that he's capable of it in the future. But within these, these precious weeks, we lived on a different plane of existence where Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was apparently Kobe Bryant. And I, I don't know how we got here.
0: I want to shout out to my man, Brian Windhorst, who who wrote a story about this for ESPN.com. Apparently, like, he just literally did, like, a life reassessment as he's playing in Puerto Rico because he got bounced from the league. And he kind of, he's always idolized Kobe. He grew up around, you know, in the Philadelphia suburbs, just like Kobe did. Um, Obviously knows a lot of people who was around for the Kobe run over there Um, and just, you know, just looked up to Kobe his whole life. Um, and he's decided to dedicate him, rededicate himself to his game in, in a different way. And yeah, like you said, he was this lunch pail guy, sort of scrapper kind of guy while in his time in the NBA. And now he's dropping 40 in FIBA and FIBA games. Um, just like mid post
3: work. Like, Again, a skill set he never showed in the NBA or at least never had the chance to show.
0: Just crazy. Um, and you wonder if he I really hope he gets a second look, man. I hope this guy lands on an NBA roster somehow because of because of what he's done to transform his game. Well, this is fascinating to me for two reasons. Is one, Kobe, even when he was alive, had a like insane cult of personality around him. Um, not just in LA, where he's before he died, he was a deity. Like, yep. straight up. Um, and and subsequent to that, even more so, of course, with good reason. Like, I get that. Um, but also, within the league, just the amount of players who, who count themselves as Kobe adherents, disciples, acolytes, whatever you want to call them. There's a difference
3: between being a Kobe acolyte and making your admiration of Kobe, your whole personality.
0: Well, okay, but 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 this is the other part of it that I find fascinating. Kobe did this exact same thing to Michael Jordan.
3: Oh, 100%.
0: You know, like Kobe, like we all remember the Afro Kobe. Kobe was bald his rookie year. He was 19 years old. He wasn't balding. He was bald because of Jordan. He was literally... Do he literally did this to Michael Jordan when he was younger? Like the post moves, the footwork, the fadeaway, the 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 way he talked. Yes, literally, like his interview
3: style, how he comported himself in so front of the media. Jordan,
0: that was that's no the doubt. like the sort of full circle meta like crazy part about this is like he's doing this to somebody who had also once done this. With Jordan himself. And then eventually, of course, Kobe, um, as his career went on, he became Kobe. He became himself. He was no longer doing some, like, Michael Jordan cosplay. To his credit, he forged his own path. And he's become this distinct person um, in the NBA. But, like, again, the reason why this isn't all that... It's, it's, it's trying weird. to see. It's, it's definitely, weird. It's definitely weird. But also... Like, when Kyrie Irving is like, after we won the championship, my first phone call was not to my father or my mother. It was to Kobe Bryant. (laughs) Like, this is the type of devotion that Kobe has sort of been engendering for years now, right? And so this is just taken to just a a new extreme that's just like, wow, bro. (laughs) You could have just wore the number and kept it pushing, honestly. That's the thing. And (laughs) I have to
3: say, like, I know you and I... Sometimes share a passion for looking at the people who are obsessed with Kobe sideways and, and do the Kobe cosplay <laughs> yeah, a little yeah. sideways in certain ways. I will say what what Ronde has done here, beyond just the uncanny nature of it, it's it's genuinely kind of inspiring. Like he got yeah. this shot with the with the Jordan national team Dude. again, like the sovereign nation of Jordan, not Michael <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> Got this chance with the national team, put up huge numbers, was operating in a way he never did before. It has me rethinking a lot of things about my life, and I, like I don't know what the podcasting equivalent of this is. Like,
0: I, what could I, you what could you accomplish as a podcaster if you rededicated yourself and became the next Joe Rogan?
3: Well, I, I mean, I'm thinking a slightly different lane, you know, like can i get the glasses shave it down and like can, can i be chris ryan like is that is that a feasible attainable thing or for maybe me?
0: become the, the the woman who does call her daddy oh, <laughs> you know he's a podcast giant, rob like rededication <laughs> let's go
3: <sighs> <laughs> okay all right i'm a, <laughs> maybe i can be like uh you know what, what christian slater did to Jack Nicholson. You know, I, I Got just need, you. I need, I need a model of some kind. Maybe there's a it's career crazy. Pivot involved. I don't know, but I, I need a new model. And so I'm on the lookout for people. Apparently I can just pattern literally everything in my life after. And I, I need to find my person.
0: Somebody please bring Rondé Hollis Jefferson into camp, into an NBA camp. Cause I want to see where this story goes. Please, for the love of God, bring this man in. Um, what It should be
3: noted. He is, he does have a contract to play in the Philippines. Mm. Does have an NBA out, but the fact that he has a contract would suggest, like probably, unless there's guaranteed money involved, mm. he's going to be there until that season culminates. But that season culminates in February, so there's mm. a chance for teams to pick him up okay, down the line. Okay,
0: bring him in in February, y'all. We we need to see a resolution because they're going to make a movie about this if he ends up back in the NBA uh, somehow. And so yeah, we need we need to see this uh happen man
3: milwaukee bucks this is your your 28 year old waiver guy to pick up let's go
0: (laughs) do we have anything else nba world related um that we want to get into not a
3: single thing and certainly nothing related to any referee controversies
0: slash potential forced retirement let's uh, let's just keep on keep on pushing past that one twitter another one bites the dust um all right, that was our show today, man. Shouts to Kai Grady. Shouts to my man Ben Cruz on the ones and twos. Uh, more off-season stuff on the way, although the regular season and training camps is slowly, up. surely creeping back in. Um, it's August 31st, so the calendar turns to September, which is when you can start sort of stretching, you know, and getting ready. You just got to start your stretching. Like, we're not going to get into the home race yet um, of the regular season. But, yeah, you can, you can start getting sort of ready for NBA stuff going forward, man. Um, again, shout out to our guy, Justin Verrier, who's not here today, but he's here in spirit as always. My man, Rob Mahoney, of course. I'm Wazny Bray. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.
2: So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.
3: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little